The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. October 4 edition of the PFT PM Podcast for your listening pleasure or displeasure as you make your way home or wherever you go when you're not working. Or maybe you're making your way to work. I don't know. People have different schedules. Some of us work all the time, like me, even though it's not work. Like this. This isn't work. This is this is therapeutic for me, so thank you in advance for listening to me. The therapy is over for Andrew Luck, the Colts quarterback. That's the first topic. What I'm going to do today, I'm trying to provide structure. Structure to these PFTPM podcasts. So you have something to look forward to. Monday is Five Down Territory. Tuesday, traditional awards. Wednesday is going to be Off the Beaten Path Awards, and I'm going to try it with a little bit of a Seinfeld flavor. I'm going to try it. Keyword, try. It may stink, and I'll be the first one to admit that if it does stink, I'll be the first to admit it, as I just said. And I won't be the only one to admit it if it stinks, but I'm going to try that. But before we get to the offbeat awards as we wrap up week four and start looking to week five, the therapy is over, as I was saying about, I don't know, seven minutes ago, for Andrew Luck. He's back at practice on a pitch count. And I don't know what any of that means because I don't think he's going to play anytime soon. What they got out of not leaving him on the physically unable to perform list is a head start by a week and a half on when he was able to return to practice. Because if they'd left him on the pup list, he would have been able to return to practice right after week six. He's returning to practice the Wednesday before week five. So they've carried him on the active roster to get a week and a half of practice time. Now, I'm not being critical. Plenty about which to be critical when it comes to how the Colts have handled this situation. The sooner he gets back to practice, the better. Why have him wait another week and a half? And you've got 53 roster spots. You dress 46. There's always going to be seven guys who don't go. Fine. Carry him on the roster for four and a half weeks so you can get him back to practice a week and a half earlier than you would have. When will he be ready to play? And when will he play well? And I keep going back to 2008. Peyton Manning, knee injury, wiped out most of training camp, was healthy enough to play week one, couldn't do the stretch play that was bread-and-butter running play in the Colts' offense under Manning. He had to pitch the ball because his knee wouldn't allow him to make that three or four steps necessary to do the stretch running play. He wasn't, as Bob Kravitz of WTHR in Indianapolis says, he wasn't back to himself until halfway through the season, and the Colts struggled until Peyton was back to himself. So with Andrew Luck, when will he be ready to play? When will he be back to himself? One thing Kevin Gilbride, the former Giants offensive coordinator, Chargers head coach, and longtime assistant elsewhere, told us back in August during training camp when Andrew Luck wasn't practicing, he's missing out on all sorts of fundamentals, important reps to get yourself ready for the season. By the time the regular season starts, 
Practice time is devoted to preparing for the next opponent, the fundamentals, the drills, the things necessary to get your body and your mind connected again and prepared for the season. The little things you don't think about, that's all done in months past. For Andrew Luck, training camp has just started. Even if we assume that everything he's done by attending meetings and following everything and participating in game planning and watching whatever he watches, that he's where he would have been roughly at the start of training camp. He's still behind. His body's behind. Think about that. How messed up was his shoulder for him to not be able to practice until now? When will he be healthy? When will he be healthy enough to play? We know he's healthy enough to practice. And when will he be good enough playing? And can the Colts keep it close enough? They were very fortunate last week that the Texans beaten the Titans and the Jaguars lost to the Jets. Because even though the Colts lost, it was a great opportunity to even it up at 2-2 two and two for all four teams in the South. But even though they lost to the Seahawks, and they're 1-3, and three, they're only a game behind. If Jacoby Brissett can keep them within striking distance of the other three teams, and if the other three teams can cannibalize themselves and periodically lose out of the division, the Colts have a chance when Andrew Luck is back and healthy. One other point on the Colts that deserves to be mentioned and appreciated and understood. Frank Gore, three yards behind Eric Dickerson on the all-time rushing list for number seven. Jerome Bettis next up. Once Gore leapfrogs Dickerson and then Curtis Martin. I don't think Gore gets any higher than the top five, but if he gets to the top five, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's already in the Hall of Fame. I've seen that people wonder whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, one dynamic that helps him is there aren't great running backs anymore, and the Hall of Fame selectors want running backs to be in from time to time, so Gore will benefit from the fact that there isn't a cluster of running backs with gigantic, enormous yardage boxing out other running backs like they're are with receivers. I think that's how Terrell Davis got in. Terrell Davis didn't play long enough to be in the Hall of Fame, all due respect. But eventually his accomplishments look better in relation to other eligible running backs because who are the running backs that are being overlooked, that are caught in a log jam? There is no log jam. There's no log and there's no jam. So Gore gets in. Gore already has more than 1,400 yards more than Adrian Peterson. We view Adrian Peterson as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Gore at least gets in at some point. How can he not? A couple of other things before we get to the last few awards from week four. I I saw this today, and, and it speaks to a general concern I have about John Gruden, the broadcaster. And and I'm going to try to make this not about the fact that his fake tough guy routine bugs me. It's not about that. I'm going to try to make it not about the fact that he's already got that scrunched up look on his face like he's upset about something or he really has to crap or both. It's not about that. It's about what he says, not how he says it. He, he brings that active coaching attitude like any call that's out there that happens is a call against him and I don't know if the producers at one point said hey John you know keep your coaching visor on and and react the way you would react on the sideline if there's a bad call well I don't know that anyone told him that but that's what he does and that doesn't serve the audience because you have to think of it from the perspective of the fans at home and the NFL wants the fans at home to understand the rules And the NFL wants the fans to buy in and realize why a certain call is made. They don't want a sense of confusion. They don't want a sense of ambiguity 
or arbitrary decision-making or that the calls are bad. The NFL doesn't want that. I mean, at a certain level, the NFL likes a little bit of drama. Ultimate reality show before the last presidential campaign. But they don't want the fans not having faith and confidence in the rules. And Gruden does that all the time. Anytime there's a flag for an illegal hit on a defenseless player, receiver, quarterback, whatever, he starts complaining, not anytime, let me say most of the time, he starts complaining about the call. I remember, I think it was week one. It was one of the early weeks of the season. Well, we're still in the early weeks of the season, so I had to be right. There was a flag for an illegal hit on a defenseless receiver, and Gruden said, well, I don't know what else the guy can do. Well, how about not hit him with a helmet, right? How about not hit him with your helmet? Don't dip your helmet and hit the guy. That makes it a foul. He spends a lot of time doing that, and if I was the NFL, I'd be calling up ESPN saying, can you get your guy to properly communicate to the audience what the rules are? Can you explain to him it's not helpful to anyone If the fans don't understand the rules, this isn't about his personal opinion as to what the rules should be. It's about the objective, undeniable reality is what the rules are. And look, I say all this with a staunch record of questioning and criticizing the league office whenever and wherever I think it's justified. And in this case, it's not justified to just blindly rattle off whatever complaints you have about the rules as the rules are applied. The rules are the rules. And when they're applied properly, say so. And if you disagree with the rule itself, say you disagree with the rule. But if you disagree with the call because you disagree with the rule, not because you disagree with the application of it, that's a problem. That's a disservice to ESPN. It's a disservice to the NFL. And it tends to make fans resentful and confused. And they get closer to the point where they say, it's rigged, it's fixed, I'm done. That's why... Gruden should stop it. And I mention all that because his latest came on ESPN Radio's Mike and Mike. Is it still Mike and Mike? At what point is it not Mike and Mike anymore? I don't pay attention to it. I got my own gig in the morning, and I'm sure they don't pay attention to me. But I've been hearing for like five years now that at some point one of the Mikes is leaving and the other Mike is inheriting someone else. And it's like they've been talking about it for so long. Is it ever going to happen? Anyway, Mike and whoever, or whoever and Mike, I don't know which Mike is which. Gruden was on there today, and he said, I don't want to see anybody get hurt. This this is talking, let me, good job setting this up, idiot. This is about the Danny Trevathan hit on Packers receiver Devontae Adams. Trevathan suspended two games. It was reduced to one game. I disagree with that change in precedent. I think it should have been a fine only, but they didn't ask me to serve as the hearing officer. And all that matters is what the hearing officer, Derek Brooks, thinks. And Derek Brooks decided to suspend Trevathan for one game. His one-time head coach, John Gruden, said this. See, now I've set it up properly. On Mike and whoever or whoever and Mike. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. It was a vicious hit, but not to be politically correct, you're supposed to run to the ball. We're used to... And for, I, don't, I don't know why the term politically correct became a bad word. It's like a blot. Like, it's bad to be politically correct. Is it good to be politically incorrect, to be insensitive? Just say whatever you want to say? People use the term politically correct divisively because they just want to offend anyone they, they choose and say, oh, you know, oh, sorry, I'll do respect. Wait, that's my line. All right, you're supposed to run to the ball. We used to tell our receivers, if you want to run an inside breaking route, if you want to fight for yardage after the catch, you better be careful because these defensive players, they're on the hunt. 
I think some of these receivers that are running these quick screens and these inside breaking RPOs, run pass, run pass options, they need to get down personally. I'm not blaming Devontae Adams, but I think there's two ways to look at the, at the, at it. I've always coached energy, hustling, rushing to the pile, and if it is wiggling, you hit it. Because guys are fighting for yardage, and sometimes you've got to give up the ball because of one inch. Inches matter. That's why they measure first downs. That's why they have a crew down there with those chains. So I'm a little sensitive. I thought Trevathan made a great play. Obviously, what he's hitting the surface below the neck, all those things I'm totally agreeing on. But I thought Trevathan made a heck of a play, and unfortunately, man got hurt. He didn't make a heck of a play. He went in as a battering ram and hit Devontae Adams in the helmet. That's not a great play. That's a play that gives up field position. Now, granted, it happened at the four, so it only gave up two yards. But it it could have gotten Trevathan ejected, and it's gotten him suspended for next Monday night's game. So the Bears have to take on the Vikings without Trevathan. So I don't know what's great about it. And again, it sends mixed signals. And it's coming at a very inopportune time for the league because the league is feeling defensive about the president's assault on how soft football now is. They don't need Gruden who has one of the most prominent platforms in the sport, sending out these mixed signals and demeaning the efforts to keep the game safe. And it makes Gruden even more of a caricature to spout that, in my opinion. All due respect. And, you know, the more I I watch, there's this sense out there. And, and I, last year, I think Sports Illustrated had a lengthy like so long, I don't think anyone in the world read it. I think if you read it, you got like a free steak or something. It was too much to read, but there was stuff in there about the attitudes of football fans who who lament that football has changed. And I'm telling you, one of these days, and maybe the time is coming sooner than anyone realizes, somebody out there with a couple of hundred million laying around is going to start a football league that uses the NFL's rules circa 1980. And you're going to be allowed to launch yourself helmet first and you're going to be allowed to hit defenseless players helmet to helmet and you're going to be allowed to hit the quarterback wherever you want to hit the quarterback whenever you want to hit the quarterback unless the ball is well away it's going to be all the rules that the nfl has changed to make the game air quotes safer and here's the thing guys are going to line up to play now it won't be guys who can play in the nfl but they want to play professional football they want to get paid they welcome the risk and they'll play and people will be intrigued if if it is sufficiently different from the football we currently see. There will be people out there who follow it, especially now. Now that there is, see, th- this, is the, this is the thing we have to spin forward. And this is the perfect time if there's someone out there with that money and with that desire. Because there's never been a professional football league that has sufficiently been able to compete with the NFL. It's never happened. And our president tried at one point. This would be the time. This would be the era. This would be the place to start a competitive league. Not that I want one. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to be realistic about what may happen. Try to get ahead of the curve on this. Now is the time. The old school football league, the all American football league. I mean, that it was the all American football conference years ago. Wrap yourself in the flag, instruct your players to stand for the anthem, and go out there and play football in a brutal, violent, vicious way, and everyone who does it knows what he's getting into, and no one can claim they don't know anything about the long-term risks of all those shots to the head. And I'm telling you, there will be a market for it. 
And there will be people in the media who are appalled and aghast by it. And those people never watched mixed martial arts or UFC or any of those sports where they beat the hell out of each other. But it's not a big deal. So the average sports writer pays no attention to it. But I'm telling you, that potential's out there. And comments from people like John Gruden about the Dravathan hit push the needle in that direction. One more topic before the awards. Sashi Brown, the... And, you know, I never know what his title is. He basically runs the show in Cleveland. He, he's not a football guy. He's a former lawyer like me. And the thought of a former lawyer like me running a football operation should scare the hell out of anyone. All due respect. Sashi Brown runs the show now in executive vice president. That's his title. Sashi Brown. He said to reporters on Wednesday, our rebuild isn't over. And the common reaction to that is, well, I should hope it isn't over. I should hope you're in the early stages. But, you know, I feel like, and this is a criticism I've heard from several different folks in the league who think that what Sashi Brown has figured out in Cleveland is long-term job security. If you can create the impression that you are perpetually in rebuild mode, you're never held as accountable as other front offices are. And that's one of the, the, the benefits of constantly flipping current draft picks for future draft picks. There's always this vague sense that the best is yet to come. We're still building. We're still working. The best is yet to come. And meanwhile, look at case in point, what they did this year. And I hope Deshaun Kaiser ends up being a great quarterback. I love his attitude. I think he's got upside. The question is getting him to his ceiling, wherever it may be. But the Browns could have had Deshaun Watson with the 12th overall pick. They traded the ability to draft Deshaun Watson for the 27th overall pick in the draft. No, 25th. I'm sorry. The 25th overall pick in the draft and the Texans' first-round pick next year, which by all appearances is probably going to be in the 20s as well. Was it worth it to do that? Now, Moneyball, Analytics, Sabermetrics, whatever label we want to apply, would suggest that you do it. And and the fact that it is a crapshoot pretty much at every round of the draft suggests that the more lottery tickets you have, the more likely you are to find players who help you win. But when it's a guy that... It's just the fact that the Texans... And I don't know that the Texans were making it clear who they wanted to pick. I, I don't know how detailed the conversation gets regarding who a team that is trying to trade up to get is actually trying to get. I bet sometimes they know, sometimes they say, sometimes they don't know. Sometimes they don't ask. I don't think the 49ers knew what the Bears were going to do when San Francisco and Chicago flipped number two and number three, and the the 49ers had to sweat out the possibility that that the Bears were going to take Solomon Thomas, the guy that the 49ers would have taken at number two. They got him at number three. But, you know, if, if I don't think, even if the, even if the Texans said, we want to trade up, but we're not going to tell you who we're targeting, surely the Browns, who had just picked up Brock Osweiler from the Texans and got a second round pick to take Brock Osweiler, surely they had an inkling that they were looking at Deshaun Watson. So if you have a team out there that has a proven record of far more success than the Browns have enjoyed since returning to the league in 1999, and they think enough of Deshaun Watson to make that leap, you got to wonder. Are we missing something or are they missing something? 
And when you consider what happened last year with Carson Wentz, remember they traded down from number two. The Browns could have had Carson Wentz, and they opted to trade down. Kick the can. Rebuild. We're rebuilding. We're the, ho- the best is yet to come. It has to be, right? The best has to be yet to come because this sure as hell ain't the best. What we've seen from the Browns since the beginning of last season is the opposite of the best. They're 1-19. I, I, I don't know what kind of spell these folks have Jimmy Haslam under. And I think that Jimmy Haslam created such a hole for himself by firing pretty much everyone every year that now he feels like he has to go the other way. And and maybe Sashi Brown is onto something. Maybe he knows a hell of a lot more than I ever will about how to build a football team, and chances are that's 100% accurate. But there's just something about this that it, it's got to have an ending point. At some point, you have to be accountable. At some point, you're passing on all of these players, and they're developing elsewhere. And you know what? Maybe... Carson Wentz would have stunk with the Browns. Maybe Deshaun Watson would have stunk with the Browns. Maybe other quarterbacks they could have had in recent years would have stunk with the Browns. But this is a team that is desperate to find a franchise quarterback. And I hope it's Deshaun Kaiser. I'm not rooting against them in that regard. I've been rooting for the Browns. But at some point, at some point, you have to be accountable. At some point, it's not enough to say we are continuously building future picks. At some point, the future's now. At some point... Getting embarrassed at home against a winless Bengals team is unacceptable. At some point, being 0-7, 0-8, 0-9 is unacceptable. And here we are, 1-19, after 20 games of this new experiment, in a league where there's supposed to be parity. And look, I can get on board with tanking for one year. Is this a two-year tank? What is this? Does anybody know what this is? If I was a Browns fan, I'd be wondering exactly what in the hell is going on. And I'd be inclined to just check out until someone mentions to me in passing, hey, hey, you know what? The Browns are actually at 500 in November. Then I'll get interested again. Call me a fair weather fan. I don't care. There's a point where the weather is bad enough as a fan that you no longer stand out in it, right? Oh, you're a fair weather fan. Well, you know what? When it's really cold outside, I eventually can't take it anymore. And I go inside and have a cup of cocoa. How much crap are you supposed to swallow as a fan of the Browns? So anyway, that's just my point. I'm not trying to get anybody fired here. I'm I'm just saying at some point there has to be accountability. And good for Sashi Brown if he has crafted the one job in football where there's no accountability. Good for you, Jack. I have a feeling it's not going to last indefinitely. All right, this show will last indefinitely if I don't shut up. It's awards time. Last set of awards. And I'm taking a little bit of a risk here, right? I have no accountability either. It's easy to take risks when no one's going to walk through the door and say, you're an idiot, you're fired. Although that, that still could happen. Now I'm getting concerned. Anyway... The, the last blast of awards from the week that was, with a little bit of a sign, because I got, I've, I've, I've had a relationship with the Seinfeld program for years. There were a lot of parallels. We, we joked around with Rick Cordella, who was in charge of NBCSports.com when NBC came after PFT. There was a lot of, you know, the weird little Seinfeld parallels there because, you know, Seinfeld had the season where they did the NBC pilot. So anyway, I think I've overexplained it. Here are the awards. I've got five of them. All right, and I'll explain them as I get to them. Hipster doofus of the week, not a lie if you believe it of the week, master of his domain of the week, sweet fancy Moses of the week, and Billy Mumphrey's downfall of the week. They're subject to change because I don't want it to be 
something that I force. I don't want to have to force it, so I can just come up with a different... I mean, there's there's an endless supply of potential awards that I can lift from however many episodes of Seinfeld there were. All right, so let's start with the Hipster Doofus Award of the Week. And this is something, if you watched PFT Live this morning, and if you did, thank you. We had some of the things you may have missed in Week 4. The Hipster Doofus of the Week is Matt Ryan. Because he fell down like Kramer when he was running out to get into Wildcat formation. You know, it was perfect cover for him because Jay Cutler was in Wildcat formation standing there smoking a cig. We missed that Matt Ryan stumbled and fell like Kramer on his way to the slot. And it was so funny. Like when he got up with that kind of I meant to do that attitude and he was very stern and he was locked in like he was actually going to run a pass route, the exact opposite of Cutler. So that's... That's Matt Ryan, your hipster doofus of the week for week four of the 2017 season. Next, not a lie if you believe it of the week, it goes to Steelers receiver Antonio Brown, who initially said he had no regrets for his temper tantrum on the sidelines on Sunday. And after he got called out by his coach and his quarterback, he posted, of course, an apology. So he does have regrets. So he was either lying then or he's lying now. Either way, Antonio Brown is lying But it's not a lie if he believes it. And one last point about this. Can you imagine how people would have reacted if that had been Odell Beckham Jr.? Throwing down the Gatorade cooler, histrionics on the sideline, and when grabbed from behind by the offensive coordinator, swinging aggressively, hitting the hand of the offensive coordinator, people would have lost their damn minds. And if it was a guy at the bottom of the depth chart, chances are he wouldn't have a job now. I know it's not Latrell Sprewell, but you're making contact. You're swinging and hitting the hand of a coach. Remember when Greg Hardy did that a couple of years ago? That was a far bigger deal then. He slapped a clipboard out of a coach's hand. This is slapping a coach's hand away from him. Anybody else? Well, Odo Beckham Jr. would have been a big deal. Lower guy on the depth chart would have been gone. All right, master of his domain of the week. Now, this one will be typically reserved to somebody who takes a shot to the groinal area. And, and, and you know, I, I was looking for video of Todd Gurley leaping Jeff Heath of the Cowboys because we had that on the program as well this morning. And it turns out that Todd Gurley does a lot of hurdling. Here's the problem with hurdling. You're hurtling over a guy who is wearing a hard plastic shell on his head. And if you don't get up high enough, I think there was an aborted hurdle from Jimmy Graham last week because I think he realized he was going to get little Jimmy injured if he tried to jump over the guy. So when all else fails, don't try to hurdle a guy. Todd Gurley tried to hurdle Heath, and he took a helmet right to where it hurts. And I don't know whether it was Toradol or what, but when Gurley got up, he, he was walking like a guy who had not just taken a helmet to a very sensitive area. So so good for Gurley. One of the hardest things to do is to take a shot to that area and act like you're fine because your, your body rebels against your brain. And it takes about five seconds for it to happen. So look, all I saw was the last couple of seconds after the highlight when Gurley gets up. It's very possible that as he's walking back to the huddle, he was just doubled over in pain because usually that's what happens. I'm not a doctor, but I have been hitting the nuts enough times to know what happens like five to seven seconds afterward, and you know, like after the first time it happens to you, the first time it happens to you, it's like, well, I just got hit in the nuts. Oh, you know, that's no big deal. I'm I'm surprised it didn't hurt more. That's the exact sound that you make, too. 
Anybody out there who has nuts has inevitably been hit in them. They know what I'm talking about. All right. The uh, Sweet Fancy Moses of the week. Sweet Fancy Moses. I I hate to have to overexplain this, but that is the reaction Jerry had when he saw Elaine dancing. So the most awkward celebration of the week, if there is one that is worthy of this award, will be the Sweet Fancy Moses of the week. And it goes to... It goes to... Brian Witzman of the Chiefs, who tried to come in and participate in the, and you got to go back and watch this. It's great. The Travis Kelsey touchdown that made it 10 to six, extra point made it 10 to seven on Monday night. Kelsey gets up and dances and really dances. And and Witzman comes in and it's almost like they had planned that the offensive linemen were going to participate. But once they got there, they lost their nerve. And like the other guys, like they didn't know what to do. And they're big, awkward, large in their pads. And Witzman tries to do this thing. He puts his arms out and he tries to bounce a little bit. And then he gives up. He aborts. It's like he does it a couple times and he's like very self-conscious. Oh, crap, I'm on camera. My mom's going to see this. They're going to make fun of me for the rest of my life. And he stopped. So, sweet, fancy Moses of the week. Brian, we still had a chance to make funny. We appreciate the effort. We appreciate that you tried. Eric Fisher didn't even try. And, and, and see, Fisher, I think hung Witzman out to dry. I think they had a plan that they were going to dance with Kelsey, and Witzman realized quickly that his buddies did not have his back. But he gets the Sweet Fancy Moses of the Week award. And the last one, Billy Mumphrey's downfall of the week. If you may recall, Billy Mumphrey's downfall was his unbridled enthusiasm, and I reserve the right to give out this award for the opposite of unbridled enthusiasm. Jay Cutler's posture in the Wildcat, where he stood there with his hands on his hips. And Adam Gase, maybe he gets the Billy Mumphrey's downfall of the, world, of, of the week because of his unbridled enthusiasm in defending Cutler. And, and Gase actually makes sense because if Cutler fires off the line, he's going to get blown up. We've seen that before. It's open season on the quarterback who lines up there. If he crosses the line, he, he, gets, he gets slammed to the ground like Jack Dundee by Dr. Death in best of times, right? So you stand there, and no one's going to hit you. Well, if they hit you, they're going to get flagged. So I don't have a problem. Cutler's not involved in the play. What's he going to do? He's going to take a reverse? So he's, he's just standing there. And yeah, you know, he's got the body language of a guy who's always irritated, and I'd probably be irritated too if they want to run this gadget play instead of letting me do something with my rocket arm. Yeah, we've seen quarterbacks get upset about the Wildcat play. Remember when Mike Vick went to Philly in 2009? They felt compelled to try to use him in some way. So they do the Wildcat, and Donovan McNabb comes off the sideline. He does the, the kill it gesture. He doesn't want that. If you have a true franchise quarterback, you don't take the ball out of his hands. That's the general rule of thumb. But into the hands of Jay Cutler, the Billy Mumphrey's downfall of the week award. So to summarize, hipster doofus of the week, Matt Ryan, for falling down while going into the Wildcat formation out at the edge of the line of scrimmage. Not a lie if you believe it of the week, Antonio Brown, master of domain, Todd Gurley, Sweet Fancy Moses of the Week, Brian Witzman, and Billy Mumphrey's downfall, Jay Cutler. And with that, let's take a few questions here before we wrap up this Wednesday edition of the PFT Live PM. I got it screwed up, the PFT PM podcast. It's the first time I've screwed it up, though, since we changed the title. I'll screw it up again, PFT PM podcast. Did the Browns rebuild over? Already addressed that one. No, but thank you, at Hunter Jacks, for your question. It actually inspired the topic earlier. So let me give a, a belated shout to at Hunter Jacks 0904 for the question at law and sports guy wants to know if I expect a ruling from the fifth circuit today. That's the appeals court that is considering the Ezekiel Elliott case. I have seen nothing yet. The NFL yesterday said they expect a ruling soon. 
One of the problems with taping a podcast, there is a chance that there will be intervening developments that make it moot. But I don't expect a ruling today. I think it's a little bit too quick to get it reduced to writing. And there are other things that these judges do. They're paid a salary. They're not paid by the case. They're not paid by the hour. They, they moved quickly to schedule a hearing, but I don't think we see a ruling today. Maybe by the end of the week. And then the NFL has to decide if they secure the right to suspend Ezekiel Elliott. You know, if it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, do they tell him he can't play on Sunday? And it's a fairly big game. Packers-Cowboys. And the people at Fox surely will be lobbying behind the scenes. They probably already are. Don't take Elliott off the field. We're going to generate a huge rating for this game. If Elliott plays, I think it'll be huge either way. I think it's the thing about the Cowboys. It doesn't matter who is wearing the helmet or the uniform. People are still going to tune in and watch the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Uh, at My Immature Mind asks EJ Manuel after the quarter he had, would you start him fantasy-wise this matchup? Look, I would not start EJ Manuel under any set of circumstances because here's what's going to happen. The defenses are going to load up to stop Marshawn Lynch and take him away. They're going to dare E.J. Manuel to beat them. So I guess that gives him an opening, right? But I just, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in E.J. Manuel. Watch, he's going to have three touchdown passes and two rushing touchdowns. But I, I would not roll those dice. I, I, I'd like to think you can find somebody else. Why do you even have E.J. Manuel on your team? So I would I would be careful. And and also, also the, uh, the reality is that... Um, you know, the Ravens' defense has the the potential to be halfway decent. Uh, another question. Let's see. At Red Coleridge, is it possible the Dolphins were such forward thinkers they purposely ruined the Jets' tank job given their division rivals? I kind of like that theory, although I doubt that the Dolphins deliberately lost in order to screw up the efforts of the Jets to tank. Tanking to kill the tank? I, I like that. I like going next level. The Dolphins tanked to disrupt the tank. At some point, the Dolphins should just go ahead and tank. They're currently in last place in the division. And maybe what they need is a young franchise quarterback, first pick in the draft, even though they really do believe in Ryan Tannehill, who obviously is out for the season with a knee injury. Uh, let's see. At Vital Desires, publicly lukewarm about Chargers, privately all about Chargers because of relocation money, any world where they are sold and moved to San Diego. I... I this story won't go away about the possibility of the Chargers returning to San Diego. And one thing that surprised me yesterday during the periodic media briefing that Joe Lockhart, the former White House press secretary, who's now the primary NFL spokesman, he was asked about this this rumor, speculation, whatever, about the Chargers going back to San Diego. And he said there's been no discussion. Now, I, I feel like that's a question that if there's really nothing to it, it shouldn't just be there's been no discussions because that implies there could be. I, I think the response needs to be more along the lines of that's a clown question, bro. Get out of here. That, that's a Bill Belichick rolling his eyes type of a question. And 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 I think, you know, and, and you can say it without disrespecting the reporter. You can say I'm not even going to dignify those rumors with a response. The NFL has thought through all of the various angles and issues. They're committed to the charges being in Los Angeles, and we can't even begin to assess whether or not it's a successful endeavor until the new stadium opens, period. But by saying there are no discussions, I think it opens the door for speculation that at some point there could be discussions about returning to San Diego. And based upon how it's gone so far for the Chargers, I don't know why there wouldn't be. Next question from Allsot SP. 
has the pushback PAT rule made the world better in any way? I, I, you know, I understand what the NFL was trying to do. They don't want that point to be automatic. But, but how many games have we seen that missed point kind of screw things up? And we do see it missed a lot more than I thought it would be missed because it isn't a chip shot. It's a, it's a real field goal attempt. And sometimes the kickers aren't ready to go out and kick a field goal of that distance. I think that where it has failed, it's failed in enticing teams to go for two more frequently. We see it from some coaches like Mike Tomlin, but it's not that break-even point where you could go either way. It's still conventional to kick one. It's unconventional to go for two. And as I've said ever since they changed this rule, if a coach does the conventional thing and it fails, he doesn't get criticized. If he does the unconventional thing and it fails, he does get criticized. If you do it enough times, you get criticized right out of town. So it's almost like they need to move it back farther. I'm not comfortable advocating that, but if they truly want to get to the point where teams go for two more often, or half the time, you move it back five more yards. There's a point there where the analytics will tell you it's six of one, half dozen of the other, whether you go for one or go for two. And, you know, the problem is I don't think coaches want to make that decision every given drive. I think they want to have a default. The default is we're going to go for two. The default is we're going to go for one. And we will make a different decision in the second half based upon the, the situation. So I I guess I'd like to see the NFL go the rest of the way and make it something where people are more inclined to go for two and coaches are less concerned about the perception that they're doing the unconventional thing. Uh, A couple more quick ones before we go. At day 0313, if the Steelers win the Super Bowl, does Ben retire and is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I think he's... I don't know that he's first ballot yet. If they'd win another Super Bowl, I think he probably would be because he doesn't get a whole lot of credit for the first Super Bowl because he really didn't do much in Super Bowl 40. He did a lot more in Super Bowl 43, arguably should have been the Super Bowl MVP. I think if they win one more, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he gets in anyway. I just I don't think he gets in first ballot. And I don't know if he does retire because if he retires, he has to pay back $12 million. If he had retired before this year, he would have had to pay back $18 million. Now, if the Steelers would say, hey, go ahead and keep that $12 million. You don't need to pay it back, then, then maybe he would retire. Maybe they would let him go out on top. But I, I just wonder whether his heart's even in it. Because if that $18 million was enough of a factor to get him to stay and he really didn't want to stay, I, 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 you know, that, that, that could be a problem. you got to be all in. All in. And he says he's all in. But is he really all in? I don't know. He's, he's never going to admit that he's not. Um, and, and you know what? Maybe if the season doesn't go the way he wants, maybe if it ends up being a disappointment, his cover will be, I really wasn't all in, but I knew I had to pay back $18 million, So I came back even though I didn't think it was the right thing for me. At Hamspam, thank you, ma'am. Who are some early Coach of the Year candidates? For me, the test always is, how do you perform in relation to your expectations? So, Sean McVay. Coach of the Year candidate. Sean McDermott, Coach of the Year candidate for their work with the Seahawks and Bills, respectively. But that's the key. We all have a loose sense as to what the expectations are for a given team. If you exceed it, you you become a Coach of the Year candidate. If you fail to achieve it, that's when you end up getting fired. Ben McAdoo. Not that they're going to fire Ben McAdoo a year after he made it to the playoffs and only his second year in, but that's the kind of failure that can get you fired. So I'd even throw Doug Peterson in there, 
because I don't know what the expectations were for the Eagles. I picked them to win the division, but I think it would be viewed as as grossly exceeding expectations if they emerge as the best team from among the Cowboys, Giants, and Washington. So those are just three that come to mind. Andy Reid, if they keep winning, he, he's got to be considered as coach of the year, um, even though the expectations were that they would be pretty good. And I think we need to throw Vance Joseph in there as well. Three and one Broncos. We're, we're going to have multiple first-year head coaches who are real candidates for coach of the year. Last question before we go. At Joey Bell Telecom, would a corpse be a better option than Brandon Whedon? Weekend at Brandon's. Uh, I, I don't think a corpse would be a better option, but when you're getting down to Brandon Whedon, you're a lot closer to corpse than you are to franchise quarterback. And, and it really is amazing to me that – the Titans could bring in Brandon Whedon, Matt Barkley, Matt McGloin, TJ Yates, and not Colin Kaepernick. And, you know, the people who are already of a mindset that Colin Kaepernick should be employed, they say this is a load of crap. And the people who are of the mindset that Colin Kaepernick is rightfully not employed, they got nothing to say. You, you can't defend bringing in Whedon, McGloin, Barkley, and Yates and not Kaepernick. You can't defend that. So... People aren't trying to defend it. It is indefensible. And my argument is they should have had Kaepernick in as the backup to Marcus Mariota before this. The Kaepernick should be the guy who's playing now. That what they're doing now is they're backing up Matt Castle with a guy who plays like Matt Castle. So if Castle gets injured, it's not a huge change for the rest of the offense. But they can't say that because that logic quickly disintegrates into an effective cross-examination of the Titans on why they didn't have a backup who simulates Marcus Mariota. Because that's why they should have had Kaepernick. When Mariota was unable to participate in much of the offseason program, was still recovering from the broken leg, Kaepernick would have made sense. And I wish, in hindsight, I had been banging that drum at the time. I'm going to bang the drum out the door here. A little longer than I expected today, but a lot to talk about. We'll do it again on Friday. So we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, now Friday. You know what's eventually going to happen. I'm going to end up doing one of these every damn day of the week. If you listen. If you don't listen, then I'll do it anyway because it's just me sitting here talking, which beats the hell out of working. And I'm going to go back to not working. So thanks for some of your time. PFT Live Thursday morning. Micah Hyde of the Bills will be joining us. And on Friday, I think we're going to have Lamar Miller of the Texans and Derek Johnson of the Chiefs. Those two teams meet Sunday night football. So some things to look forward to on the morning show. Afternoon show will roll on on Friday. Thanks for some of your time. And we will talk to you later in the week. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.